If you want to know how to create like the grades, let's break it down. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with your customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's kind of like trying to remember the name of the guy that you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Was it Don? Was it John or Sean? Who knows, right? It's like that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution prior, at least. It brings service and success together in one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that helps handle frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps your reps anticipate customers' needs. And a full 360 view of every customer so you can go to market and your go-to-market team can have a pulse on the accounts before you try to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale, support, drive retention, and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service, happier customers at every single stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more with your customers today. Welcome to Create Like the Greats, a podcast where I take you into the inner workings of how some of the greatest creators of all time did or do what they do. We study the strategies, the methodologies, and the techniques of some of the greatest creators of all time so you can do the same. I'm Ross Simmons, your host and the CEO of Foundation, one of the top content marketing firms in the world working with some of the biggest names in software. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to take you a bit behind the curtain, into my world, into my seat. In this segment within Create Like the Greats, we go into the details surrounding my world, my life, my creations, the things that I'm studying, the things that I'm learning, so you can understand and you can learn along with me how to do something great. In this episode in particular, we're going to be talking about one of my first loves, my love of psychology, something that I've been obsessed with since my first day of university. I'll never forget when I walked into a university class and they started to talk to us about psychology, how the brain works, how we as humans make decisions that we don't even know are rooted in our actual decision making. They're kind of ingrained within us. Subconsciously, we'll make a decision that we don't even realize. We'll have biases that influence our behavior, our decisions, the way we interact, the way that we communicate with one another. And oftentimes, it's not even something that we think about. It's muscle memory, it's psychology. Why do we want to be communicated with a certain way? Why do we want to be spoke to a certain way? Why do certain things make us excited and why do certain things make us sad? All of that is the psychology of humans. And it's a fascinating space. It's a fascinating industry at large. And in this episode, I want to talk about how psychology, when paired with marketing, when paired with communication, can be a superpower. Marketing is applied psychology. Every advertisement, every tweet, every word, every blog post, every case study, every podcast that has the intent of selling something is essentially applied psychology. The best marketers, the best creators, the best strategists who are ultimately playing this wonderful game of capitalism and playing the marketing game along with it are marketers who study psychology and they use it on a regular basis. And in this episode, what I want to talk about, what I want to share with you are some of the techniques that psychology is being used to drive meaningful results for businesses, organizations, creators all over the globe. And my hope from this is that you'll be able to use these insights to unlock something special with your stories, with the content that you create and the stories that you tell. Now, I have to do a quick disclaimer because it needs to be said, it needs to be known that with great power comes great responsibility. I really encourage you to not listen to this episode with the intent of doing harm. I encourage you to listen to this episode 
with the intent of driving and elevating culture, elevating those around you, elevating your customers, your audience, the people who you are looking to influence. Make sure that you're adding value because psychology can be very, very powerful. Psychology is not something to be played with, something to be used for good and ultimately used to move forward with value. Let's jump into it. One of the first psychological tricks, so to speak, is what I call the McDonald's marketing strategy. You walk into McDonald's, you're feeling like you need a meal. It's not a happy meal that you're going after. You might want a Big Mac meal or something like that. You're just hungry. You look up at the board and you see that you can get a small burger for $5. But if you throw in a fries, it's $5.75. So 75 cents difference for fries, not bad. $5.90 for a drink as well. Wait a minute, so it's nearly $6 for me to get fries, burger, and a drink. For most people, they would look at this and they'd see $5.575.590 and think, hmm, that middle one is overpriced. But it's only overpriced in comparison to a small. It's only overpriced in comparison to just the burger. When you throw in that juice, when you throw in the water, even though it's only a few cents more, it looks like a deal. It looks like an absolute steal. Like maybe McDonald's made a mistake. What were they thinking? I need to get that. Not realizing that when you walked in, when you first walked in to make your purchase, you actually just wanted a burger. But instead, you're walking out with fries and a drink as well. This is a theory and a philosophy known as having a decoy. And a decoy is one when you show and present three different options, but the option that you actually want people to select is actually the one at the top. And that is when you throw in one that just makes no sense. Nobody would ever choose that because for just an additional 15 cents, they can get an extra drink. And you can do this with your work as well. I know someone who runs a lawn care business and within their lawn care business, they have a lot of different options for what you can get, but they throw in at the end, just an additional service where they will lay in addition to fertilizer, et cetera, lime on your lawn for an additional, I don't know, maybe $20 or something like that. But it doesn't actually cause them any work. They have a decoy in between where it's like, if you want a special lime, it's an additional $200. So you're like, oh, lime, just 20. But if I get this special lime, it's 200. I'm going to go with the $20 lime. It's a decoy. Nobody's going to pay 200 bucks for that line, but most people will upgrade and do that extra 20 and feel good about it. This is where you use a decoy to get people to select and choose what you actually want them to. Another opportunity that exists in psychology when it comes to marketing is ensuring that you have fewer syllables in the actual price point. Now, I know we're getting into the nitty gritty here, but it's the nitty gritty details that actually have a massive influence. When you read something like, $47.89. In your head, it can feel more expensive than $49.40 because there's more syllables. We oftentimes perceive longer sounding numbers to actually be more expensive than they are. If it can roll off your tongue, it must not be a big number when in fact it is. But we just don't think that way. Another opportunity in the wonderful world of psychology that can be applied to your marketing stack is this theory of the information gap. The information gap took the internet by storm just a few years ago when the rise of tons of websites surrounding clickbait fueled the internet. 
And you'll still see this content from time to time again when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, you're scrolling through your Twitter feed, and you start to see an article in an essay that says why we really do look hotter in sunglasses. Huh. I have an immediate gap in information. I don't know why. I don't know why people look hotter when they're wearing sunglasses. And for me to actually learn and fill this gap, I need to click on the link. I have to click on the link. This is what many would call clickbait. Because at the end of the day, the answer to that question is that sunglasses hide part of your face. And if part of your face is in, then you can't really tell what somebody looks like and you put together pieces on your own. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. But these are the majority of the titles that you see when you walk into a restaurant, not a restaurant, but a grocery store or some other facility where there's a magazine stand. And you look at that stand and you're seeing an article around breaking news. We just got to the bottom of this mystery from 1998. Oh, interesting. I forgot all about it, but I'm going to open this magazine and actually learn nothing. They don't tell you anything. It's clickbait. The original clickbait was the tabloids. And when people are scrolling through or people are walking through an aisle and they read this content, this story, this headline with an information gap, they don't want to keep going without having an answer to that question. They want that answer. They want to know why we actually look hotter in sunglasses. Now, another psychological element, for anyone who's working in the wonderful world of pricing, e-commerce, etc., you typically will have to write out the number in terms of your price. Now, instead of writing 1400 with a comma between the one and the four, don't add the comma. That comma signals expensive. When you start adding commas to a number, it means you're making money. It makes you, means you're making bank. And I understand that in some cultures and industries, you might be talking about a period. There might be a different type of character there that you use. But in English, Canadian English anyway, we use a comma to represent thousands. And when you include that comma, it demonstrates and signals more expensive. Now, more expensive doesn't always mean a bad thing. If I'm selling you a yacht, maybe a comma is a good thing because you want to show off that you're prestigious, that you're special. If I'm selling you a Rolex, I want to throw in that comma because, again, you want to demonstrate and show the people who know what a Rolex is that you've got money, you've got bank. So you have to understand your position in the market and understand the way that you're positioned to determine whether or not you want that comma or not. Now, the next one that I want to talk about, one of the most influential studies that I've ever read and one of the most, I would say, underrated studies that has ever been done, it was conducted by the folks over at the New York Times Consumer Insight Group many years ago. And what they did was they did an analysis. They did an analysis across why people share. Why do people share content online? What's the reason? What's the rationale? What is the actual desired outcome for why people would take a piece of content and spread it on their Facebook, on their LinkedIn, send it over email to their colleagues, their peers, their friends, their family members, et cetera, send it in the group chat. Why do they do it? Well, this study found that there were five key reasons. The first reason was to bring value and entertaining content to others. If I can make people laugh, if I can add value, if they view me as somebody who is helping them, then that is a good thing. So I'm going to share content to help people. For example, just the other day, I was listening to the Affirmation song from Snoop Dogg. And some of you are like, what is he talking about? Well, it's a song that is dedicated to little people, kids, by Snoop Dogg, where he just talks about affirmations. I went into my friend chat with a bunch of my friends and I sent this to them. And I was like, y'all, this hits, this slaps, this is fire. It's Snoop singing about affirmations. And if you play this for your kids, they're going to love it because mine do. And 
you might enjoy it too because it's new, right? The group chat lights up. Some love, some hearts, some excited, blah, 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 et cetera. I had value to that group chat. That was the intent. It was really just that. I wanted to add value to others. I wanted to bring value to others and a little bit of entertainment as well because it was an entertaining song. Some of the other reasons why we share content is to define ourselves to others. So we define ourselves to others by sharing things that truly we feel define us because we want to feel like people get us, that people understand us, that people view us in a certain way. Now, whether or not this is a good thing or not is up to debate. But we all have a persona. We all have an embodiment of how we want to be perceived and how we think we should be perceived. And we try to use stories and things online to demonstrate that. Your profile picture probably in some ways helps define you. You might not know it. You might not think about it cognitively all the time, but it probably does. Similarly, the photos that you share, you're trying to define yourself to others. If you're constantly sharing photos of you on trips, you going around the world, navigating the world and experiencing the world, you're probably trying to define yourself to others as being somebody who lives that life. Kudos. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. That's why we do it. That's why when I go to an Eagles game, I share it because I want to define myself to others as being an Eagles fan. I love the Eagles. I want them to win. And I want people to know that because I'm a fan. That's me defining myself for others. When you're a parent, you share pictures of your kids all the time. Sure, you might be trying to keep people in the loop on your kids, but you're also trying to define yourself as a parent in some way. Same thing happens in multiple different subcultures of humanity. People who are into different things will share content on those topics because they're defining themselves as a gamer, as someone into anime, as someone who follows a certain perspective or belief system, etc. We share this content to define ourselves to others. But that's not the only reason why we share content. We also share content to grow and nurture and nourish our relationships. We share things because we want to help people and we want those people to feel like we are thinking about them. This is a great thing. We also share things to feel good about ourselves. We share content that reaffirms the things that we know. Everybody always wonders and gets all caught up in, oh, look, did you, haven't you seen the, all the studies that show that red wine is super good for you? Haven't you seen the studies that say that one glass of beer, one glass of whiskey a day is good for you? The people who are sharing those pieces are operating in a state of self-fulfillment where they have seen validated content, validated stories that are telling them what they already have wanted to see. And of course, they're going to share it. Of course, they're going to circulate that content. Every single time that a vegan reads a blog post that says that veganism is the future, they're going to share it. And every single time a carnivore reads a piece that says that eating animals is the key to longevity, they're going to share it. Although they would never share the content that each other are sharing because it doesn't fulfill them, because it doesn't align with their own beliefs and their own wants surrounding the world that they want to view the world in. That's the way the world works. And the final thing, The final thing that results in us sharing things is to get the word out about a cause or brand that we believe in. If you're a business, this should inspire you. This should get you excited because people want to talk about you. As long as you are something that they care about, as long as you are creating things that they care about. If you're a cause or a nonprofit, if you're creating things that people care about, they'll share your content. So lean into this. Try to give people an opportunity to talk positively about you. You might reap the benefits. All right, another piece is the reciprocity principle. We always feel obliged to give back to those who have given to us. This is why restaurants 
in my opinion, should always give you a mint. They should have a budget. Every single restaurant should have a budget for mints. Give your servers the ability to drop a handful of mints on the table afterwards or gummy bears if you want to get really creative because gummy bears are delicious. Give them something that they can drop on the table and it's going to increase their tips and they're going to stay with you longer because they're going to get more tips at your restaurant than the next person, right? This is why when you go in an Uber, every Uber driver, if you're listening to this, you should always ask the person who's you're giving a lift to, ask them, hey, do you need a phone charger? I, I have a charger here. Take it, use it, use this charger. And then by doing that exchange, they're gonna feel like you're giving them value. So you're more likely to get a tip. People give back to those who give to them. And if you can offer a charger, if you can offer a water bottle that you can buy for, I don't know, maybe 30 cents if you buy them in bulk, and then start giving those to people who are getting a ride in your Uber, your tips are going to surpass that 30 cents every single time. This is the power of giving to others. Another psychological trick is this whole concept of you saved something. Now, I know this is going to get a lot of people upset because you all think you're going to the store and you're saving money, but you're not. Every single time you buy things, you're not saving money. You're buying things. You're spending money. If something is $15 and it's on sale for $10, you don't save $5. You spend $10. If something's priced at $20 and it's on sale for $10, you don't save $10, you have spent $10. Brands put this on receipts and stickers and tell people all the time, this is what you save. It's not what you save. It's what you spent. It's what the company has decided not to mark up. At the end of the day though, this is a very powerful, powerful concept. Because sometimes people will walk into a store, they'll walk into a place and they'll be like, oh, everything's on sale for 25% off. I have to buy everything. You don't have to do that. You don't have to buy those things. You're being convinced that you need to buy these things because you perceive the savings to actually be a benefit to you. When in reality, you're still going to spend. Now, there's another psychological opportunity that a lot of folks underestimate and is really powerful. I've seen it firsthand. I've been a victim to it. It's called the Ikea effect. And the Ikea effect is the act of building something, putting your own blood, sweat, and tears into creating something that adds value. And when you do that, when you put in your time, when you put together a desk, when you put together a bed, when you put together a sofa, when you do something with your own hands, you will value that thing beyond its inherent quality simply because you were involved with the process. This is how everybody feels after they put something together. You feel good after you build a a desk from Ikea because you had to put it together with your hands. And by doing that, you believe that this desk that you've created is of more value. And in some ways, arguably that's fair, right? Because your time is going into it. So you are now exchanging your time and your money to create this thing. And if you value your time, then arguably that time is being considered a part of the value that was applied to it. Another psychological impact, trigger, perspective, study that you need to think about is how important it is for us as humans to avoid loss. We all want to avoid loss. If a brand offers you a free three-month trial, you take them up on it even if you don't even have time to use it. If you have the option to leverage a three-month free trial, you'll sign up and you'll aspire to use it. And in month four, if you still feel like, I want to use this thing, 
I need to get value out of this thing. I had three months and I didn't take it. I really need to. You'll keep paying. You'll keep paying for months to come, telling yourself, yeah, I think I'm going to eventually use this. And as I say these words, I can think of a subscription or two that I have to a platform that I probably don't use enough to say it's worth the investment. All right. Another psychological trigger that is used online and often to hook us is social proof. We are social creatures. One of the benefits of living in this generation, though, is the benefit of having everything crowdsourced in terms of reviews. There's nothing online today that you can't find out whether or not other people have an opinion on it because everybody has an opinion on everything, whether it's a blender, whether it's tissue paper, whether it's an Airbnb, a new book, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a pair of sneakers, you name it, there's reviews on everything. And one of the benefits that comes with this is you get to hear from other people. Brands use social proof to influence our decisions. And we as consumers use social proof to determine whether or not we should trust someone or not. If you've seen a blender and one had 4,500 five-star reviews and another had three five-star reviews, which one are you going to go with? You're going to go with the one that had all of the reviews. It makes sense. More reviews, all positive. Less reviews, all positive. The one with more reviews has a bigger sample size. And thus, that's the one you'll pursue. And the final thing that I want to share with you, which is a psychological opportunity that a lot of brands leverage. And it's a a genius one. And it's one that's been around for years. It's the idea of giving something away free is more powerful than bundling it for the same price. For example, if I'm selling you a t-shirt and sneakers and a hat for $30, you might think, hmm, interesting, good deal. But if I tell you I'm going to give you a t-shirt, sneakers, and a free hat for $30, oh, I get something free. That's where you feel good. You feel like you're winning. You feel like you're getting the advantage because right now you're going to get something free. People are more likely to buy a $20 ebook that comes with a free consulting call than a $20 bundle that is an ebook and a consulting call because they don't get anything free. The idea of getting something free, even if the value is the exact same, changes the dynamic of the entire experience for the recipient, for the buyer. So think about all of these different factors, ranging from bundles and free to commas in your pricing, the IKEA effect, the psychology of sharing, and whether or not you can develop an information gap with your audience. Consider all of these things as you're developing stories and creating stories that you want your audience to resonate with. It's on the back of these ideas that I've been able to create content that has reached millions of people and have helped organizations generate millions of dollars. My hope today is that you're able to use these insights for good to help you create something great. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm definitely looking forward to the next one and I hope to see you there soon. Take care and have an amazing day. If you want to know how to create like the grades, let's break it down.